Week two of football is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Let's kick off another action-packed week. DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game to receive $150 in bets instantly and if it's not available in your state DraftKings still has huge cash prizes available up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code tbpn to receive 150 dollars in free bets when you place a one dollar bet on any football game that's promo code tbpn this week at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is the first day of fall, September 22nd, 2021. It's also the first day of taco fall. Nope, that is not something I'm going to use this year. It is not the first day of taco fall, just the first day of fall, but it is good to be back. little mini hiatus of sorts, you could say. It's been 17, 18 days since the last time we stepped on. Amadou Sao and Dan Galinsky were with me last time, and on today's edition where talk a little bit about denzel valentine not much i mean we can talk about denzel valentine on february 14th the only day the cast fans are actually gonna love him and we can get to that later because we got we have mike from the driving to the basket podcast aka a very good pistons podcast and i'm uh, very glad you. to welcome him on yes thank you for having me yeah you know like absolutely so it is september 22nd training camp is just a couple of weeks away oh, six days actually starts on the 28th i believe that's a preseason. i meant to say yeah. was. that's right so we got training camp less than a week how, how are you feeling about the pistons do you want to see a lot of losses or is it time that that this team which has been completely retooled starts to show some chemistry on the court so uh, you know in principle i would think that sure another losing season would be great because you get uh, yeah, another shot at a high draft pick. And the Pistons, of course, could really use more talent at this point. They're unlikely to ever be a free agent destination. And assuming that, you know, the hope is that Kate Cunningham can be that, that superstar creator. And even if that happens, you really need that number two guy. And I'm not so sure he's on the team right now. So you tank out another season and hopefully you get another maybe top four, top five pick. And maybe you get that guy there. That said, it's not what's going to happen. And I'm a little ambivalent because... Tanking was really, it was the first time thing for the Pistons last year since, I don't know, maybe in the nineties. I'm not sure if they even deliberately tanked back then. You had the, the owner, Tom Gores, who refused to let them rebuild uh, because he was, he was just a highly meddlesome and very ineffective owner for a long time until he finally made the decision a couple of seasons ago that it was just, this is after Blake Griffin got injured again. And I think uh, whatever happens, he decided, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let these guys rebuild and I'll trust the professionals. So you brought in Troy Weaver and uh, he's done a very good job so far. As of a couple of weeks ago when Sekou Dumboya was traded, the entire roster has been overhauled. The longest tenured guy on the team is either Killian Hayes or Jeremy Grant. Hayes was drafted before 
uh, but uh, he didn't sign his contract at, until after Jeremy Grant did. So, but, but whatever. I mean, the, the longest tenured guy in the team has been around for uh, less than 10 months, I believe, uh, or something like that. Whatever the case. Uh, so last year, sure, it was fun at first saying, oh, yes, you know, root against your team, you know, yeah, tank commander, and so on and so forth. It got really wearing as the season went on. And then at the end, very stressful when I was like checking to see, well, you got two games left. Is it, you know, it going to make any sense for Miami to play its good players? Is it going to make any sense for Denver uh, to play Jokic? And Jokic just played anyway because he's awesome. The answer was no, but he played awesome. He played anyway because he's awesome and wanted to play in every, in every game in the season. And, uh, and the Pistons got just absolutely destroyed. Uh, so, but yeah, it's like watching these games and just hoping that your team and even the young players will play poorly enough that you can lose. So, I think we're going to, this is at the end of my long-winded answer. It's basically, I think that they're just going to go in the season and see what happens. And I'm looking forward to it uh, because I think they've got a lot of, a lot of intriguing players in the team. It's a very young team. And so I'm just, uh, I'm looking forward to them going out there and doing what they can do. I don't think they're going to even make the plans. I think that's probably around the ceiling. Yeah, no, I, a lot of that. Very well said. It's a very intriguing roster. Some of my guys I really enjoyed last year who I thought didn't get enough love. I mean, Sadiq Bey got plenty of praise. I think he deserved it. I feel like Isaiah Stewart, no matter how good he was, continually flew under the radar. I know some nights I remember at several big double-doubles. I know he had a big game against us in the late part of the season. He had several of these, like 15, 15, and five block games. He was just everywhere. It kind of reminded me athletically speaking of a younger Jeremy Grant when he was in Philly and he would literally just block every shot that anyone ever put up. And another guy I really like is Hamadou Diallo. I'm happy he resigned. Still really young. It was a weird trade for both sides. I thought not that it changed a ton, you know, you get rid of Svi who is taking minutes from, I don't even know who at this point, I don't even know who, who is taking minutes from who Ellington obviously got way too many minutes. So did, every other guy they had last year but Diallo came in gave him some nice minutes then we had a couple of double doubles but my question for you uh is here Mike what what position is Cade because I was under the impression that him and Grant were going to be the front court duo obviously in 2k he's listed as a point guard on their current depth chart I'm looking at he's listed as a shooting guard what, what is his natural position so I would say he was defined going into the draft as ball handler more or less and you can pretty much make that work from almost any, almost any of the perimeter positions these days. Uh, what I would say will be Cade's ideal position is going to be point guard. Assuming he develops as you hope, you put him in a point guard and then you surround him with a, a tall, long roster. And then Troy Weaver has really done a lot to bring in these big, uh, these big players with long wingspans. So if you play him next to kind of a smaller player at shooting guard, then sure, they just you know, makes it so you don't really have the size mismatch. They just put your shooting guard, uh, the shooting guard on Cade or, or whatever else. But I think ultimately you play him at point guard. I think the guy who has the most chance at being the, the shooting guard of the future is Diallo. I think very highly of his potential. Of course, he has to learn to shoot. If he doesn't learn to shoot, then he's probably not going to stick in the NBA. That's just how it is these days, unless you have some other fantastic skill. Even then, like, out of the, the guys in the league who are defensive specialists in the perimeter. I think there are basically zero of them right now in the NBA. Uh, now that, uh, what's his name uh, from Denver? I can't remember. Uh, he, he was really a defensive specialist 
uh, in the 2020 playoffs, but now he can shoot. Anyway. Oh, Torrey Craig? No, Torrey Craig. Well, he did well with Phoenix because he was shooting well, but no, there was another guy. Just I'm completely blanking on his name right now. Whatever I'll, the case. We'll get to it. I can probably <laughs> no, I'll, I'm not, I'll think of the name later. He's, he's, he's not well known. So in any event, uh, so Diallo, if he can shoot, I mean, the guy is almost unstoppable going to the basket. Uh, he's, he's just very, very difficult to stop, even, even if defenders sag off him because he's incredibly athletic. He's super strong. And so his trouble right now is that he's a spacing liability. So it just it makes defense easier for the other team. He doesn't have access to, like, well, aside from, like, shots in the restricted area, the most efficient shot in basketball. And but the efficient, most efficient jump shot, whatever you get what I mean. And by the way, so, PJ Dozier, PJ Dozier, that's the one. So if Diallo can learn to shoot, then great, you have a starting caliber player right there. Uh, he's a decent, he's probably a little below average on defense right now, but I think that's more a lack of refinement. He's conceivably a four position defender. Uh, if he can shoot, great. If he can uh, shoot pull up threes, then he's going to be extremely difficult to guard. So I think uh, any other, if you, if you say any other player besides Cade, who has the potential to be a 20 point per game scorer, I would say it's Diallo. So yeah, I would play Cade at point guard. Now, of course you have Kelly and Hayes on the roster as well. And there are concerns. I certainly have these concerns that still try to shove a square peg into a round hole by trying to share ball handling duties between Hayes and Cunningham. And we'll see how it goes. Hayes is considerably more raw. Uh, you guys saw him play actually a pretty good game against the Cavaliers last season, but his good games were not many. Well, I think the issue was, uh, I mean, not, it's not an issue, but there was that one stretch where Dennis Smith was actually playing pretty well. They had him and they were trying to get Saban Lee minutes. They're like doing a three guard split, but not really much to discuss on that. I just wanted to put that out there. It was very interesting. I feel like some of the games I saw he played well, I think he was good enough to roster at the end of the fantasy season for some, depending on what position they were in just because they're basically going up against, in a lot of cases, he's going against second and third unit guys just based on rest and whatnot. But anyway, here's my last question on the Pistons for you, and then we'll slide over to some Cavs talk. And it's about mm -hmm. Dwayne Casey. And right. he arrived in Detroit fresh off a Coach of the Year uh, award with the Raptors, where they had fired him because they got swept by LeBron in round two. Would I have fired him if I was the Raptors? Absolutely not. What oh, I would have. 100%. I, we can discuss that in a sec. Yes, <laughs> I, I understand. We'll all hear from that in a sec. I just wouldn't have. There, there's nothing they could have done. If they, if he was there with Kawhi, who, who knows? Nick Nurse was incredible, though, and he, he, deserves all, he deserves all the credit he gets. I loved watching the Raptors go win it all. LeBron switches conferences. LeBron gets hurt. Lakers miss the playoffs. There's no way he even thinks about getting in the way. Raptors outdo the Warriors, something that Cleveland can only do once. Anyway. But what is what has to happen for Casey to keep his job past the season, or is he kind of just going to be Brett Brown with Philly for a while? He'll just stay in the role and wait till they're they're ready to win, or is he just trying to? What is his purpose? I, we can't even grade him as a coach because there's nothing to grade with how they're trying to play. So I would say just to preface based on uh, uh, you know what I said about how I would have fired him as as the Raptors coach, I think Dwayne Casey I believe has proven that he's a very poor postseason coach. He's not an imaginative offensive mind, uh, and he is just absolutely horrible at making necessary adjustments. He tends to just stick with what he's doing. If he does make a change, it's often far too late, and his teams have almost invariably underperformed in the playoffs. Now, they got swept by the Cavs. That's true. 
it's the third postseason in a row they'd lost the Cavs. And I think in, in that season in which the Raptors had done so well, they'd had their best season ever, best regular season. Hopes are very high, though it should be noted that Nick, Nick Nurse was running the offense at that point. Messiah basically said, sorry, Dwayne, we're, I mean, well, not in so many words, but Dwayne, uh, yeah, sorry, but we're giving the offense to Nick Nurse and we're running a modern offense now. And, you know, that's just what we're doing because Casey had not been doing that. So uh, the Cavs didn't have a great roster in 2018. And they ate the Raptors for lunch in between very close seven game series down to the wire, seven game series against the Pacers and against the Celtics who were playing without Kyrie Irving. So, yeah, I don't think it's defensible. And, and, and the same sort of stuff happened. The guy just could not adapt in anything like enough time. I think the fact that <laughs> like the incident where LeBron scored the game winner and Casey's like, oh, well, I guess I wasn't clear enough to my team, to, to the players that they were supposed to double team him. It's like, dude, you, what? <laughs> so Casey and when he, like the, the Pistons didn't have a shot against the Bucks in 2019. It was, just, it was just an abomination of a roster. But Casey certainly got the least out of the team. He coached a horrible playoff series, especially in game one, in which he, he, he fielded a lineup of Reggie Jackson, Wayne Ellington, Bruce Brown, Thon Maker, and Andre Drummond. So two shooters and uh, no capacity whatsoever to keep up with the Bucks on offense. You know, and you're not going to play defense against them anyway. It's just not good. It's not going to work <laughs> with that but roster either. You so, expected a sweep in that series, though, just uh, for what it's worth, right? You expected a sweep, but you expected the Pistons to put up a respectable fight like the average team does in the playoffs. And sure, Griffin was out. And sure, they were never going to win the series. And I wouldn't say it was Casey's fault by any means, uh, but he certainly did a poor job. Basically, his flaws were on display. So Casey, I think at the start of last season, it was really irritating because he's a guy who gives his, his veterans due deference. And you could tell he's just going out there and he's trying to win. He was going to trust his veterans to do that. Now, after they dumped, after they traded Rose and dumped Griffin, it really shifted. And, and I think he had a good campaign as a developmental coach. And, uh, and I think he has a reputation for that. His players really like him, which I think definitely distinguishes him from brute from Brett Brown. And so I, I think he's good at that. I, I think he's, I think he's very good at nurturing players. Uh, I don't think he's a winning coach. So what happened actually, they gave him a one-year extension on his contract and that I think would take him through 2024. And I, I'm th I think so. Cause I believe he signed a five-year contract in, in 2018. So I don't know. My, I might be counting incorrectly here, but whatever the case, the, the theory some have is that he's going to play that out and then take a job in the front office. So I think that, when the Pistons, hopefully, if they if they get to the point where they're really becoming a contender, it'll it'll be under a new coach, a new coach who's better at winning in the NBA. All right, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. You know, Cavs certainly will have a decision to make at the end of the season if they don't get into the top ten. Now we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to switch gears to the Cavs because I want to shout out two former Pistons that both went to their uh, actually nope. One of them went to their third conference finals. Shout out Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, two guys I very much enjoyed watching in the playoffs last year. I've been a Reggie Jackson fan for a long time. I think he's finally thriving in a better place for him. And I think for Luke Kennard, I don't even know why they trade. I'm still kind of confused that they moved him. So, so, so what they did is they wanted to upgrade their ball handling because it had been such a weakness for them in the prior playoffs. Uh, basically, they... I mean, it was under a different coach, sure, but you had your primary ball handlers were 
where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, guys who are who are excellent scorers, but not really the most suited to actually helm an offense. So they wanted to add more ball handling. So they basically just swapped Landry Shamet for him. And they really liked Shamet, but yeah, but as it turns out, and also three extra three-point shooting, but as it turns out, Reggie Jackson had a had a good season. And uh they uh they traded for Rondo, who didn't end up doing anything, but Base, and, and they were also arguably the greatest three-point shooting, regular season, greatest uh, three-point yep. shooting team in NBA history. So they just really didn't need Kennard. But Reggie, so when Reggie came to Detroit, he was this intolerable egotist. I mean, he forced his way out of Oklahoma City because he was insistent on being the starter. He nuked his own trade value in the process. He once basically held himself out of games because he was pretending that he was injured. And he went and just for the benefit of some media people, dunked the ball and practiced. Uh, before he said, Oh yeah, I'm not feeling well enough to play. <laughs> um, this is before the season when he did like in the preseason, I think when he was or early season, he was trying to force a trade. So his teammates came out of it, hating him. So yeah, it was, it was for me very frustrating to watch him play for his first couple of seasons. And you could see him mature after he was injured. He had a terrible season in 2016, 2017. And uh, he grew up. And by the time he left Detroit, he was really a model teammate. And so I'm happy to see him do well in with the Clippers also, the thing is in Detroit, Stan Van Gundy was a horrific coach, especially yeah. in his last two seasons. Had this vision of Reggie Jackson as the primary option in a good offense, which was completely, absolutely unrealistic. Now playing the number three role in with the Clippers, I, I think that's very good for him. And I'm ha- like I said, I'm I'm happy for him that that he did so well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shout out to him and in his last Instagram post. Still, I, I check it. I, I follow Reggie. His last post was from when the Pistons moved on from him. He hasn't posted anything about the Clippers, which tells you how much he enjoys the experience. He doesn't want to post any Clippers pictures on his feed. But <laughs> perhaps seems happy there. Yes, and it's, it's great to see. Love seeing him in PG bomb. But anyway, let's, let's talk about the Cavs. And, right. you know, if you were in on the Cavs side of things, I, I'd probably question you. But as someone at the Pistons fan, we were talking before the show, you talked about some feelings for Colin Sexton. So just kind of want you voice them and let's hear where you're coming from. I'd love to hear why you think what you think about uh, number two who's averaged so, 25 last season. Yeah, he did. So you have certain players like uh, Colin Sexton is a heavily ball dominant player. That's the way he plays. That's, that's the way he's is by far going to be at his most effective on the ball. Uh, that said, they're really, it comes with an inherent cost guys who are that ball dominant. And if you're going to have a guy like that, you'd better be sure it's worthwhile to give him the ball that much. So Colin Sexton is not really ideal at playmaking for others. You give him the ball, he's looking to score. I thought it was funny. <laughs> it came out last season that opposing players would taunt him, would, would, would taunt his teammates by basically saying, oh, you know, he's not going to pass you the ball. So uh, he's a guy who can, uh, who can take the ball and score with it. But if you're giving it to him, uh, just on so many possessions, just to, just to take the ball and, and, and handle it on heavy volume. Uh, I just, I, I don't think he's the guy you want to, you want, you want to be doing that just because he's, he's a fair creator for himself, not so much for other players. So uh, I, I don't think he really justifies the role. You're also going to have to pay him a great deal. And if you're paying him to be a second option, you're really reducing a lot of his effectiveness by not letting him do you know, operate in the situation in which he is most effective, which is with the ball all the time. So that's why I don't think too highly of him. You have guys, I'm trying to think of a comparable, uh, before last season, it would have been Zach Levine. It's like, you give the ball to this guy all the time 
and you can score with it, but you can't do much else. And, uh, but he really improved uh, the, the exactly. other day. He had a great season. He had a, player. he had a great season. Uh, I think he's going to need to continue to improve, uh, to, you know, to a degree at least in order to, to really continue to, in order to justify that ball dominant role on a good team. But the Bulls, I don't think are going to ever be a good team with their current roster. Right. With, I know we're going to talk Cavs, but real quick, they, they, they added Lonzo, they got DeRozan, they have a solid starting lineup. Is it, is it going to be a chemistry issue? Is it DeRozan can't exist with him? What's so, the issue? I don't think they have the talents on offense to, to really make that work. On defense, it's going to be a very difficult thing for them because Zach Levine and, 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 and Tamar DeRozan are both weak defenders, particularly DeRozan. Even in San Antonio, he was a weak defender, and that's if you're a weak defender under Popovich, then then you're basically hopeless. So, you know, also DeRozan is what he is at this point. So Levine is good. Lonzo's, you know, Lonzo is a good complimentary player. So DeRozan, the thing is, it's kind of like you took the situation. I hate to remember this, but you mash Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin together. And it's like, okay, these are players who have for overlapping. Uh, you just, you're never going to get anything near the most out of both of them at the same time. And that turned out to be true. And Anybody who listens to to to, to driving to the basket knows that I strongly dislike Andre Drummond. Also, yeah, you also, people you also, know my opinion. It's yeah. gone back and forth, but how I stand, I wish him the best, but I'm happy he's out. That's it. Oh, I wish him the worst. I think he has a oh. despicable mentality, and we had to live with it for so many years in Detroit. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I think he deserves uh, his his career has really gone downhill, and I think he absolutely deserves it. I think that those are absolutely his just desserts. So, uh, here's the thing with DeRozan. Uh, sure. So you're you're weakening your defense and. DeRozan, you can't really put him together with Zach Levine and, and really hope that much is going to go well. DeRozan is only effective on the ball. As an off-ball player, unless he's magically learned to shoot and is willing to shoot, it, he just, yeah, he's, 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 pretty, he's not very good. He can, you know, he's a decent cutter, but that's pretty poor value. Uh, so you're just extremely unlikely to get the most out of both him and Levine. So it's like you've added talent to the team, but it's nowhere commensurate, uh, commensurate with the salaries being paid. It's not a big deal because they're way over the cap anyway, but and they weren't exactly, they were definitely weren't going to add anybody else most likely, but it's just, yeah, getting proper value out of, out of both of them at the same time is going to be difficult. I don't think highly of DeRozan as an offensive player in general, he just comes with a big opportunity cost because he can't space the floor. And yeah, also, like I said, their defense is going to take a hit. So yeah, I, I don't like who's Lonzo is a capable defender. Uh, I don't even remember who's playing power forward for them now. Pat Williams. Pat Williams. Pat Williams, I think, will be a capable defender, but Vucevic is mediocre at best. Yep. Uh, DeRozan is bad, and Levine is below average. And so we'll we'll see so. what the Bulls become. We'll, we'll talk about the Bulls in another They're a team. Day. I think that they are a second round ceiling team. They make the yeah, second round. Of, oh, yeah, they haven't I, done that in years. I mean, not that many years, but a no, long they they time. beat the. Did they beat the – who did they beat? No, they lost the Celtics when Rondo got hurt. It's been a while since they've got to the second. They haven't oh, gotten there right. since 2015, I, I don't think. Oh, right, when they played against the Cavs and Derek yeah, Rose. And Rose yeah, yeah, him and Braun both hit <laughs> yeah. uh, the buzzer beaters. So, yeah, where the Cavs are uh, – so I, I completely forgot the question. <laughs> so, That's all good. I think – We're talking anyway, about Levine. Yeah. Uh, anyway, though, moving on to the Cavs, so – we got the backcourt of it was it was about Sexton and then oh, anyway, right, yeah. All right, we we're, we think we covered it, but here we go. Right, so we got Garland, we got Sexton. K 
Cavs made a couple moves. They acquired Ricky Rubio and Lowry Markkinen in trades. They just signed Denzel Valentine, as I mentioned before at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I look at Denzel Valentine as a more confident version of Jetty Osman, and that's saying a lot. Jetty Osman's a very yeah. confident player, for better or worse. Denzel Much Valentine. Better. Much better shooter than Denzel, also. Much better. Also, I mean, one clip sums it up. Adam Amin and uh, Stacey King were doing a game. I forgot who the Bulls were playing. They're down by four with 50 seconds. Denzel shoots a 32 footer, air balls. Oh, no, uh, no, that was, no. <laughs> that was against the Heat. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and he, that, is, that is the moment for which he is best known right now in the NBA. Which is not good. If you're known for, if you're known for a blunder and you've been around more than three or four years, yeah, he's played, he's played three seasons. He was, he was for hurt for season. a full year. Yeah. yeah, he was hurt for a full season. But I, I don't love the signing. The only cool thing, I guess, is he's back with Markinen, whereas Rubio is back with Love, who I still want to get the heck out. We're not here to talk about Kevin Love. What yeah. I want to so, know from you oh, – go ahead. I'll say go about ahead. Denzel, actually. I can talk to – so uh, I am a Michigan State fan. I grew up uh, fairly close to the Michigan State campus, and I watched Denzel play for four years in Michigan State. Uh, I watched him – uh, yeah, he, he. I mean, he was. He was. A, he was a great teammate. He was a good player. Uh, but I knew that he wasn't going to be a very good player in the NBA, because uh, he he doesn't have the athleticism to attain separation or breakdown defenses at the NBA level, and he's a weak defender. So uh, if he was going to be good, it was going to be an, as an elite shooter who could do some ball handling for the second units, and he hasn't been able to do either of those things in the NBA. But great guy, though. By all accounts, a great guy. Oh, no, not quite. I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. And, and I love guys like that that do well because you want to root for them. But then you see them play and you see some decisions they make. And, yes, it's hard. It's the big stage, yada, yada, yada. But also you're paid to do that. You know, He's a flyer. You know, yeah, it's just a flyer. They no, hope he'll do well. Yeah, if he doesn't, then whatever. Yeah, end up playing with, uh, with Anthony Bennett, Thon Maker next year. And <laughs> Hopewell. Oh, dear. I got all the former Cavs on the same team in Europe. And that's that's or in, in Israel and Europe, Israel, Russia, yeah. anywhere. And they've got some great players over there. And that is where Anthony Parker was before he eventually went to the Raptors and eventually the Cavs. I don't want to talk about Anthony Parker. I want to talk about Evan Mobley. I want to hear right. some of your thoughts on him because I look at him as a guy with a very high ceiling. I see him as someone that can go between the four and the five, depending once they get love off the books. They can slide him or Mark, probably slide him into the starting power forward role. That's what I would do. You play him next to Allen. He'll play a short stretch. Then he'll probably come out. You bring in Markinen or someone else. And then after that happens, you know, Allen will play how X minutes he'll come out. Then you'll switch Mobley back to center after he gets a rest. What are your thoughts on him? And can he live up to the value of being the third pick? So Mobley was number three. Uh, well, it was really for me, it was kind of number three A and three B between him and Suggs on my draft board. So I'll tell you first my concerns about Mobley, uh, because he's got a lot to like. My concerns about Mobley, number one, and you can't just look at a guy and say, oh, we'll definitely be able to put on like 25 pounds of mass, which Mobley is more or less going to need to do if he's going to want to be able to bang with guys and play what I believe is his ideal position with, uh, at center. Uh, some guys can try and it just doesn't work out for them. Uh, but the, the number two and the bigger one is injury guys with his body type, uh, just, you know, super long, uh, very lean, you know, long strides, uh, you know, his particular sort of, uh, uh where his, his hips are located in his body, like high hips. I know it sounds weird, but if you look at guys like Porzingis, for example, just these long, very tall, very long guys, uh, who are very mobile and very slim. So my concern with him is that he will not be able to, to remain healthy. Uh, as his career goes on 
And and that was for me what made him kind of, despite the fact that I think he's significantly more talented than Suggs, that was why it was kind of 3A, 3B for me. So what I like about Mobley, uh, the guy is on offense, he's got almost the skills of a wing in the body of the center. I guess, again, assuming he can bulk up. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot. Number three, my concern. And this has been, I'm sure this has made its rounds for the Cavs fan base. And it's been said over and over again. Uh, it's been read, uh, you know, said by, uh, by draft analysts. Do you question if he's got the takeover mentality? And, and that's, that's something I think, especially when, you, uh, when you've lived with years of Andre Drummond. I guess he doesn't have an issue with takeover mentality. He's a little too confident on offense. But you get, you're worried about players who maybe don't have the greatest mentality. Uh, not in college, not the most assertive guy. And, you know, he's got a lot of talent. Can he really use that to take over games and in order to justify his draft position? I think yes. And to capitalize on his talent. So he's got basically the width aside from the shooting, which I think will come along. He's got the skills of a wing in the body of a center. You know, he's quick. He can attack the basket. Uh, he's uh, I think, I think he'll be a pretty good jump shooter. Uh, you know, he's, he's a fair post player. Very few players make post offense work in the NBA, but I, I, think, I think he'll be an, an excellent role man. He's definitely a lob threat, highly athletic. I think he'll be, he's a talented scorer in the paint. And on defense, of course, I think he's got the potential to be a five position defender who uh, he's got great instincts. And uh, I, I think he's got it in him to be an excellent rim protector. So uh, yeah, I think, I think he's got a lot of talent. It's the mentality and the health that I think will define it. And I think that center is just going to be the best for him because he can be that sort of highly effective uh, modern center. Like the centers, the field, you know, the modern centers, the guys who can both uh, defend the rim and space the floor. And you take Mobley, who I think will be able to do both things as well as attack the basket. And I think you've got the makings of, very, of a very good player there. But I think center ultimately is the position at which he's going to be able to do the best because you put him a power forward. I think a lot of his defensive acuity, aside from as a help side guy, uh, goes away. So I, I had him below green on my board just because I, I think green has much more potential and below Kate, of course. But, you know, we know about that. Yeah. I didn't below, below green. And I think people, I think there was a lot of, there was some disagreements. You take Jalen Green, number two, not, not for Houston, but, you know, is, is Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, who's, uh, who's more worthy of number two. And I think Green, I just felt like had, had more capable. This is going to be more capable in terms of just his agency as a scorer and as a takeover scorer. So, but I think, I think Mobley is a great prospect. I think he is in a bizarre situation in Cleveland with Allen and Love and now Markinen. Uh, and Kevin Love, Love maybe gone they... very soon. Love, Love should get zero. If it was up to me, Kevin Love would not see the court again as a calf. But it's it's not <laughs> yeah. going to be as dysfunctional as some of the other situations. Even though he's a he's made it dysfunctional on his own. Oh yes. But I, I mean, I still like I I'll I'll hope he does. Like I'll, I'm I never hold a grudge against a guy, no matter what their impact is on the team, unless it's something horrible. Like if I was a Wolves fan, I would hate Jimmy Butler. But if I was part of an or if I was part of another teammate's another story but I've never I mean I'm probably the worst where when LeBron left the Cavs high and dry in 2010 yes I hated him very much but for whatever reason I wanted him to win one title but after he won that one title yeah. I wanted him to lose everything for the rest of his career 
were you honestly, happy when when he lost to the Mavericks and that uh, not one, not two, not three? So, no, know, first season of his. See, I'm, it's, I, I was most so happy. People would be no. I, in I, I love was, Dirk though. I love Dirk. No, that, I, that was part of it. I was happy the Mavs won. I was yeah. very happy the Mavs won. But in a sense, I really wanted the Heat to just get that one. I wanted LeBron to win one at that point, first year out, and then never win again. Right. So he gets his one, and then he's like, not one, not two, and he gets stuck at one. Right. He gets the one, then never again. And so the next three finals, they're rooted against them pretty aggressively. But, I mean, as someone that – I'm a Cavs fan first. Everyone that knows me knows I'm a Cavs fan first, NBA fan right. second. But I'm also, on a scale of 1 to 10, my Cavs fandom's probably 100. My NBA fandom's like a 95. And that's literally a scale of 1 to 10. That's how much I follow, study, write, watch. So I'm still enjoying watching him play well. I'm not, like, rooting against him to stink every time he takes the court. I'm not, like, boo – Boo, like if I was at a game and he was playing for the Heat, I don't think I ever saw him in person in those years. Uh-huh. I don't think I'd be booing. I mean, I probably wouldn't be cheering him, but I, I like good basketball. And I think that you understand too, as we get older, it's the same in any sport. Like all of us hate Tom Brady unless we're Patriots fans, but I got yeah. to a. I grew up I, watching at Michigan, University of Michigan. Okay, so I, all right, I so it's different. But you can yeah. understand why people root against him and just boo him. But as I got older, by the time I was at the end of my teen years and early 20s, I realized that – Well, not grew up, but I watched him quite a bit. <laughs> but, but there's no there's no point. There's there's no yeah. point in just, just totally watching a game to root against somebody. So that being said, bringing it back to, to square one, I, I hope Kevin Love does want another team. I don't think he will. I think that we his best days are behind him. I was happy when he signed that contract. I thought he earned it for what he dealt with for four years of just, oh, they're going to trade him. Oh, they're going to trade him. Oh, this, oh, that. Then LeBron posting that, like, look in the mirror thing on Instagram back in 2014, all about love. He dealt with a lot. And he came out yeah. on the other side as a champion, making the biggest defensive play and the second biggest defensive play, I should say, in Cleveland Cavs franchise history and locking down Curry for eight or nine seconds, forcing that tough three. Oh, right. Yeah. I remember. Almost went in off the backboard. Almost went in, but that tight D still. I mean, it, a good shooter that faced that pressure, a miss is a miss in that situation. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Anyways, he moved his feet well. I was very surprised in the moment. He should be done. But when he's gone, you know, we'll have Markin in, we'll have Allen. We'll have Mobley. I think it'll work out. Here's my only concern with Mobley. I don't even think this is being discussed. It's as much satirical as it is legitimate, but I'll say it anyway. The last number four drafted by the Cavs in the first round, technically he was drafted by the Bucks, was Kevin Porter Jr. That ended very uh, horribly last year. I just hope that the new first round number four can get it together. No, Kevin Porter Jr. was drafted number 30 in, uh, in, in 2019. No, that was still his first round, though. So oh yeah, I was okay. I was, yeah, I was first, oh, first, runner, first yeah. round guy drafted plays for the Cavs as a rookie. Wears number four. I know he was drafted. Oh, by okay. I thought, I, thought you said, made. I thought you said number four as in fourth. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. I don't. I don't. The last number four pick was uh, was Dion, and that I mean, uh, yeah, never got. It never got to work out because uh, I think Dion is, just doesn't have the brains. He has a title though. Uh, he has a title with the Lakers. He. I don't think he played a minute in the in the in, in the bubble. I don't think in the postseason, not in the finals. J.R. Smith got to play, I think, like, I only remember one possession for him in the finals. They brought him in uh, to take a last-second fadeaway uh, three-pointer in the corner while, uh, you know, at the buzzer before the second half, uh, before the first half ended, which I thought was That's funny. always been his specialty. But, oh, oh by yeah, the way, yeah. on the J.R. Smith note, you know, 
what are your thoughts on what he's doing right now? I think it's really cool that he's able to use his eligibility to play college golf at North Carolina A&T. I think that his tweets are hilarious, and I think that he's going through it twice, double double the number of years later than most of us do, but I'm living for it. I've really enjoyed it. I haven't kept track of it. I I think um, – yeah, I think he was, he was on his way out of the NBA, and good for him for finding – you know other things to do but uh, but going back to kevin love yeah i, I think it's going to be real hard to trade the guy just because good luck finding a contender who has the salary to send the other way the Cavs really dropped the ball and not trading him for hassan whiteside who was uh, i think expiring from uh from the trailblazers and yeah that, that that i think was just a horrible misstep i don't know who made that who i don't know who was in charge back then but or if dan gilbert stepped in which I doubt, but yeah, that, that was, a, that was a terrible misstep. So unless he did, unless he agrees to be bought out next season, I don't think that, that I believe he said he has no intention of accepting a buyout. <laughs> yeah. He might be, might be there for two seasons. And uh, that, yeah. Oh my God. And that, if, that makes marketing and marketing was a weird signing in my opinion in the first place. If they can get rid of love. I mean, I, I really disliked it for a while, but the more I think about him, he, he's capable of shooting. He's big. And I think that if, if he can be at least half the mark than he was in his first two years, not the guy he turned into in his last two, then I'm for it. I just, I don't know if that's going to happen. And I still think that they had a much cheaper version of Larry Markkinen, who's already a better rebounder than Dean Wade, who's only making a million dollars and they have to pay this guy 16 million a year to try and do what Wade was doing effectively last year. I that's like Larry Nance. Issue. Yeah. I liked, uh, I like Larry Nance Jr. Especially on, well, especially in a Cavs roster who is one of the worst defensive. Yeah. Well, you know, assuming the Cavs are going to try to win it in this year. Uh, I mean, you have Nance who had, who had grown as a shooter and was a pretty darn good defender in Cleveland. I like him more than Markinen. Who, I do too. Yeah. You know, the thing about Nance is that we had to, for the first six weeks of the season, guess who led the league in both steals and deflections? Larry Nance Jr. Now, guess who's now, what, the second best defensive player? Maybe the first, second best defensive player on the Portland Trailblazers, pretty much, based on yeah. who's going to play. Larry well, Hans Jr. He and Covington, yeah. Yeah, him and Rocco. Norman Powell doesn't stack up on that end, but he's he's okay. He's they they couldn't yeah they couldn't afford to lose him. Yeah, yeah, that's that team's a mess. Uh, Neil Ashley, I think, is just a very very substandard GM. But we'll we'll, we'll see. One one thing though, one thing I'll say about Portland, and then we'll we'll pretty much wrap up. I think we've had some great Cavs, Pistons, Bulls, NBA discussions here. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll say this about Portland and I'll say this about Dame. And I've been saying this when all the rumors started coming out that he supposedly wanted out. I knew it was BS because I knew he never said anything. I know that Dame, if ever he should want out of Portland, it's not going to be something leaked. I think he's going to make sure it's not leaked. I don't think he's going to tell anyone except for his inner circle who and people that wouldn't leak it. I see Dame still, believe it or not, retiring in Portland. That, that's my bold take for mm. today. I, I don't see a move. I think I know he wants to win and he's feeling good after the Olympics. But Dame is puts loyalty first. I know he wants to win in Portland. And the only place I could ever see him going would be back to Oakland. But they yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening because of Steph yeah. Curry. So yeah. I, yeah, I see it's him Steph Curry. in Portland. They have this guy, yeah, this dude named Steph Curry. You might have heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's admirable that he's loyal to the team, much like Bradley Beal has been very loyal to the Wizards. I think that both of those organizations have have failed those respective players. Though Beal, I don't think Beal is the player that Lillard is, 
but man, have the, have the trailblazers been poorly managed. I mean, they're just poorly managed. And, and at times they were handcuffed a bit by the ownership's refusal to pay the luxury tax, but they were just, I think they were just managed very poorly. I think they've got a very, very mediocre at best, I think below average general manager, and you've got to be taking the risks now and uh, still not doing that. So uh, I think, I, I don't, I, I think that's barring something very surprising happening, like Nasir Whittle becoming a star scorer. I think that Dame will be on his way out of, uh, out of Oakland, or excuse me, out of, uh, out of Oregon within, you know, that was, that was his, uh, that was his, his number zero uh, because it was like, um, Oakland's to some other place that starts with an O to Oregon. That's why he's number zero for the O. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, I learned that from, uh, from NBA 2K13. So uh, great game. So I think, yeah, I, I think he's, I don't think he's going to finish his career there unless he ends up going back there to resign, which LaMarcus Aldridge said he would like to do and then did not do. <laughs> yeah. That is true. All right. So I guess, I guess we'll see. We'll see on the Dame front, but yes, Mike, it's been, it's been great chopping up with you on this Wednesday evening. And I look forward to talking again about the Cavs, about the Pistons and about how annoyed we both are after a month when neither one of our teams are doing what we expected <laughs> them to do for the whole summer. I'm feeling pretty confident, but uh, yeah, we'll see. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show. Absolutely. So for, Mike of the Driving to the Basket podcast. I am Zach Weiss. This is Across the Cavs, and we will see you again very soon.